Well, let me uh, begin this way. I hope this was the case for me, just sitting down there singing this song and singing what we just sang together. I, I hope for you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ that there are moments along the way that the thought of the undeserved, unending, unmerited, never giving up, never failing grace of God just leaves you breathless. I hope for your sake and I hope for my sake that we have those moments in our lives where we are just overwhelmed and we just want to bask because we know we deserve nothing but judgment and God has showered on us His grace. But I hope that's the experience for you this morning. Not just going through the motions, not just coming in and singing and just moving. God, the grace of God in our lives changes everything. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I want to thank the team for leading us that this morning. Just for me personally, a time of worship, but just so appreciative to our team. I want to give another shout out. I don't know where they are. Uh, Dave and Brianne, who lead us every week, something was a little bit different about them uh, this morning. I don't know if they look different, but they're now married, so it's the first time that they've led worship as newlyweds, and wherever they are, just kind of put your hands together for them and celebrate that, a newlywed couple in our church. I thought maybe as newlyweds, having been married a few weeks, they sing about grace a little different. Maybe marriage teaches you something different about grace. I don't know. 1 Corinthians 12. Why don't you go ahead and turn there, grab your Bible. We're going to jump in. Uh, wrap up this series that we've been walking through. Just a few weeks. Overview of 1 Corinthians. A messed up church. Church in Corinth had a lot of issues. A lot of things that they were wrestling with as messed up people. That we can then draw some principles out to apply to our lives as believers this morning. We'll get to our text in just a few minutes. But I think one of the great expressions of the grace of God in my life and your life as believers is that we get to be part of this thing called the church. Now, depending on your background, maybe even depending on your history, depending on maybe your experiences with, you hear the idea of the church maybe in different ways. Maybe all positive, maybe not always so positive, whatever the case may be. But throughout the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament give us word pictures to help us grasp and appreciate what this thing called the church Not the walls, not the mortar, not the brick, the redeemed people that we get to be a part of. What this thing called the church is all about. Let me give you some examples. You don't have to look there, but in the book of Romans, Paul refers to the church as a family. Not a family that we were naturally born into by birth, but a family, by the grace of God, we were adopted into. Every one of us are spiritual orphans. We've been adopted into a family. We have brothers, we have sisters, we have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, and we get to have children, spiritual children, as we disciple and make disciples. We get to be part of a family. Now, the challenge with that is, as we all know, all of us have families, all of us go to family reunions, and sometimes every family has weird Uncle Eddie and crazy Uncle George, right? Same thing in a church. The Bible refers to the church as an army in the sense that we have a mission We have something to rally around. We have something that's bigger than we are that we get to give our lives to. This thing of making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. We get to rally around that. We're we're an army is another word picture. 
Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, where we're going to be this morning, Paul's going to use another very common word picture to help us understand this thing called the church that we get to be a part of. And the word picture he's going to use is simply the human body. Paul says the church is like the human body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, I'll just read this. says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And you get the analogy. Take our human bodies. I'm one body. I'm made up of many parts. Hands, feet, eyes, ears, toes. All these parts are intended to work together. And as these parts work together, I'm going to be healthy. But I, watch this, I as human am only as healthy as all the parts are contributing to the overall health of the body. If my pancreas decides and says, hey, I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't need you, body. I'm going to go over here. I'm just fine without you. That pancreas is not going to be very healthy. And guess what? The body's not going to be very healthy. So there's this unity around one body. There's this diversity of all these Different parts coming together for the whole. Now, called one of my doctor buddies this week, Dr. Kelly Agero. He was in the first service. And I said, doctor, is there a case, is there instances where a healthy human body begins to work literally against itself? He gave me some instances and he said, yeah, then ultimately what you're talking about is something called a disorder called autoimmune disorder. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about that, but he explained what happens in autoimmune is the body that's intended to work for itself and build itself up, the individual parts, the individual cells literally begin to attack one another. And the body begins to be unhealthy and eventually may not survive. So from that analogy, we come to 1 Corinthians and what was going on at the church at Corinth. That's exactly the case at the church at Corinth. The individual parts of the body, the believers there, who were intended to be working together for the good of the whole, began to work against each other. And there was envying, envying, there was strife, there was chaos, there were divisions, there was jealousy, there was one-upsmanship, there was condemnation, there was judging. There was all the things you can imagine. You'd say, man, I would not want to be a part of a church like that. It was a very unhealthy church. Paul, as he writes this letter, you just got to know, Paul had spent a year and a half of his life starting that church and investing in in that church. He had gone away. Now he's writing a letter back because he hears the church is a mess. Just breaks his heart. And Paul, with great concern, wrote several letters. We have two in the canon of Scripture, 1 and 2 Corinthians. He wrote back to the church at Corinth to try to clean up some of the mess. To try to get the church, the body back to a place of health like a doctor if you will writing a prescription saying hey your vitals are off your body's fighting against itself it's not healthy it's not going to survive if you don't get a handle on this thing so Paul is writing back and saying we got to get the body back in a healthy place now there were a lot of issues going on at the church in Corinth we've looked over some of them over the past few weeks I won't go back but for one particular one we're going to look at this morning is within the body the issue of spiritual gifts. 
Paul writes to these believers to help remind them of what spiritual gifts are all about and how they were intended for the building up of the entire body. But that's not what was going on in Corinth. Again, if I had the spiritual gift of you, whatever it may be, I looked over at the person who had maybe another spiritual gifting and I really wish I had that gifting. And this person had a prominent gift and they were getting all the attention. I'm very jealous because they're getting all the attention. And then I get upset with God because I don't have that gifting. And if I don't get to use this kind of gift in this church, then I'm just going to completely leave the church. I'm not going to be a part of it. And there was division and strife. And it was just unhealthy. These gifts that were given to every believer for the building up of the body were now being used to tear the body down. Like autoimmune disease. So Paul writes to try to bring back some health to the church. And I'm going to read several verses here, and then we'll make some application. 1 Corinthians 12, follow with me in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You're kind of operating a little bit out of ignorance. There's some things you don't understand what God is doing here. I don't want you to be unaware. Verse 4, he says, Now there are, a var- there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Translation, there's diversity, but there's unity in the gifts. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects or how these gifts are used or the manifestation of these gifts in the church, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 7, great statement here to understand spiritual gifts. But to each one, each believer... Each person, a part of a local body. Now, I know the church is global, but the church here is the local body. New Testament. Let's apply it to our context here. Tri-Cities. To each one, each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spirit of God dwells in us. Spirit of God manifests particular gifts. The gifts are not a substance. The gifts are a person within us, the Spirit of Jesus, who manifests His particular gifting in particular people for the building up of the body. Now, help me understand all this. Okay. So Paul's writing, trying to clear up all this stuff, and he he helps us understand a little bit of what spiritual gifts are and how they function. Now, I'm going to give you a really quick overview, and then we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 13, 13, one of the most common chapters in the Bible. You don't understand why Paul's writing about love in 1 Corinthians 13 if you don't understand the mess of 1 Corinthians 12. (laughs) So he says, okay, let me tell you something about these spiritual gifts that you guys are abusing, and you guys are jealous over, and you guys are one-upsmanship, and you guys are trying to... All the stuff that's going on, Paul says this. Number one, spiritual gifts are divine enablements given by the Holy Spirit to every believer for the purpose of ministry and service. That's awesome. In other words, every believer has a gifting given by God to strengthen and build up the body, there's the analogy, the body of Christ. Every believer. They're given by the Spirit. They're not given for me or for us. It's not to bring attention to myself. It's not to climb the proverbial ladder in the organization of the church. It's not to bring attention brought to me. It is to serve one another and the building up of the body. If I'm a pancreas, I exist so the whole body will be healthy. And if I'm not functioning as the pancreas, the whole body is not going to be healthy. And only God could design this beautiful picture of God's design for the church. Secondly, 
You say, what what are some of these gifts? Well, he lists some here in 1 Corinthians 12. They're also in 1 Peter 4. They're in Romans 12, different places of the Bible. Let me just give you a few. Some people have the incredible spiritual gift. Now, we're not talking about natural abilities you're born with. We're talking about enablements to serve the body that you're reborn with when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. Some people, the Bible says, has the gift, have the gift of administration. They can put stuff together. They can develop things. They can develop plans. They can see from the beginning to the end. They can bring people together around a common cause. They're highly organized. Not me. They can just bring things to an end. They know how to put people in the right spot. They're so organized in detail. They can just bring things to the... Pastor Gene has the spiritual gift of administration. Others, you know, have that. There's the gift of mercy. It's this supernatural enablement to see a situation and as if step into that situation and bring about good. Help the person. You can feel what they feel. You can see what they see. You can help. Some have the gift of encouragement, of service, of teaching, of giving, of evangelism, of discernment. Now these are things we all do as believers. Some people are enabled to particularly do these very well by the power of the Spirit to be a model to the rest of the church. Some people think, well, those with the gift of giving will take care of the giving. No, those with the gift of giving are given to the church to be a model of what cheerful, loving, generous giving is. And we watch and we learn. Spiritual gifts. Everybody has one. You have one. You have many, maybe. Now, we also know from this passage, every believer is entrusted with at least one spiritual gift. Therefore, for any believer to somehow say, I have no place or nothing to give or nothing to offer or the body of Christ does not need me is absolutely untrue. Every believer has a responsibility to the greater body. No believer has all the gifts, thank goodness. Nobody would be able to handle the... <laughs> nobody, no believer's... Humble enough to handle all the gifts. Only one person that's ever walked on the face of the earth had all the gifts and manifested all the gifts perfectly. You know who that was? If you don't know the answer, just say Jesus. You're probably right. Ready? Jesus. Right. Jesus had all the gifts. Perfectly. So watch. Therefore, when you're manifesting spiritual gifts, what you're manifesting is a dimension of the very character of Jesus. Very character of Jesus. Gifting of Jesus. Now listen to this. The Holy Spirit determines who has what gift. The Bible says this. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides what gift each person should have. In other words, for you to compare and for you to be envious or for you to feel like I don't have a significant contribution to make and you're a believer in Christ is to say, God, you just really messed up. You ever thought that? Anybody ever played the comparison game? Well, you know, I would, I would just be so much more effective and have so much more to offer if I were gifted like, oh, not true. The Spirit of God has sovereignly woven the pieces of His church together and He has gifted you with your particular gifting to provide what the body needs. Beautiful. Beautiful design. Fifthly, gifts are entrusted 
for the sake of others. Each one is given the manifestation for the common good. Listen, spiritual gifts are never for you. They are always for others. For others. Now, Paul teaches this and he holds this out to the church at Corinth because he wants to give them a little bit of understanding about spiritual gifts and because he realizes their spiritual gifts had become incredibly divisive in the church. What'd that look like? You come over to chapter 12 where we were and he starts to get real particular about how these gifts had become divisive in the church. Let me give you a few areas. Number one, there was selfishness with their spiritual gifts. Look at verse 29. Paul says... All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? In other words, Paul is saying, what you guys have become to desire is not the gift that God has entrusted to you. You want the showy gifts. You want these real prominent gifts that everybody applauds and everybody looks at as being more important, which in God's economy they're not. And you're desiring these showy gifts. So here's what happened. They had become to want just the gifts that would give them the most attention. Just the gifts that everybody would go, wow, look at that power. Just the gifts that everybody would say, look how great they are, rather than some like the pancreas that might be behind the scenes. So it, become, it had become very divisive. And what's more is they began to try to develop gifts that were no longer, no longer even biblical. They brought over some of their old experiences from their pagan religions and tried to call them spiritual gifts. And then, man, the church got crazy. Divisive. Here's the deal. They were being very selfish. And they thought the gifts were about themselves instead of the whole body. Secondly, they had a problem with independence. Verse 21 says, And the eye, Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You get the picture. Back to the human body. Paul says, hey, it doesn't work for the hand to look at the foot and go, man, I've got it all together. Look at me, five digits, opposing thumbs, i got it all together. Feet, I don't need you. And here's what happens. They began to pull away from the body, if you will, because they thought they had no need of others. Great. Humility and interdependence within the body of Christ. The hand is not to look at the foot and go, man, I don't need you. The hand goes nowhere without the foot. That's Paul's picture. So they had a trouble with understanding independence on one another. And by the way, I'll just say in the Western world, which we live in, we all struggle with that. We do not realize that I will never be as healthy as I can be. Christ can never do what he intends to do in me because he's chosen to do it within the context of vibrant Christian community. I need hands around me, eyes around me, ears around me. I can't hear everything I need to hear, so I need ears. I need feet around me because I can't do everything I'm to do. I need people with discernment around me because I can't discern everything I'm to discern. We need, listen, this is not a pun. We need one another and must be in vibrant dependence on one another or we're not going to be healthy. God has designed it that way and in the Western world 
our understanding of church moves from an organism that is alive and dependent on one another to an organization with structures and programs. You are a living body. It is the life of the Spirit that makes us alive. It is the blood of Christ and the blood of love that we'll talk about in just a minute that makes us not merely an organization with structures, but people with with gifts. And we depend on one another and we need each other. The church is an organism that's alive, not an organization. It's a difference. So they struggle with their selfishness. We do too. They struggle with this independence. We do too. Then thirdly, they struggle with comparison. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make them any less part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make them any less part of the body. Translation, the ear says, well, if I don't get to be an eye, I'm just going somewhere else. Well, if I don't get to be a foot... If I don't get to be the liver, I don't know who'd want to be the liver. But if I don't want to be, listen, if I don't get to be that, I'm just going to pack up and go somewhere else. And God says, it doesn't make you any less a vital part of the body if you're not one of these prominent gifts. In fact, the prominent gifts like the eyes are seen, but without the unseen vital organs of the body, the church doesn't survive. And that's the way it's designed. They had trouble with selfishness and independence and comparison. And Paul tries to write them a prescription, if you will, back to health as a church. Now what I want to do is kind of give you three real quick life principles and all this maybe to help us. And then we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 13 here in just a minute. But when it comes to ministry and spiritual gifts, let me give you three statements. Number one, when it comes to ministry, spiritual gifts within the body. Number one, resist comparison. Instead, rest in God's sovereignty. God, I accept and I recognize that you're working in in me. There may be many areas in which I give, serve, all these things in the body. But Lord, whatever particular gifting you've given me, whatever role you want me to play, Lord, because I trust your sovereignty, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Secondly, reject isolation And instead, contribute to the life of the body. One of the consequences of the organizational understanding of the church in the Western world is that I am a spectator standing on the outside looking in. What's even worse, watching the paid professionals, quote unquote, do all the ministry, and I'm a spectator. That could not be further from the understanding of the New Testament. You're a believer. This is your church home. You have a part. You have a role. You have a place to play. And listen, here's, uh, here's, here's another example of organizational thinking. I'm going to go on a rant here. Stay with me. Organizational thinking says this. Yes, I want to serve. Yes, I want to give. And as soon as the leadership create a position, then I'll go serve. That's not the New Testament. Now, we have organized roles, we have structures, we have ministries, we have to have those. But listen to me, the primary way in which you will manifest your spiritual gifts for the good of those around you is by engaging in life on life with other believers. 
and you say, I, I have this gift of mercy and I want to serve others with it. We better start some ministry of service or ministry of mercy and maybe we will someday. But let me tell you how you can manifest the gift of mercy. Get in the lives of other people, hear what they're struggling with, put your arm around them and serve one another in the body of Christ. Hey, could you imagine how that changes concept of church? Organizational. Well, I've got to find this position. There better be this role. It's got to be named. No. Get involved in people's lives, and the Spirit of God floods out of your life into their lives. And guess what happens? The body grows healthy. Healthy. We don't want the organizational thinking. We want to remember we are an organism. We are a living body. I have a part to play. If I'm not engaged within the body, if I'm standing at a distance, I'm doing a disservice to myself and I'm doing a disservice to that body. Now listen. I know and you know, listen, gut level honest. When we begin to get into the messiness of the body and people's problems and people's needs, 1 Corinthians, it gets hard, it gets messy, and it gets ugly. You say, I've tried that before and I just get hurt. I've tried that before and people don't, they, they, they just forget about me or they, they share my secrets or they betray trust or they let me down. Welcome to the body of Christ. That's why Paul comes to the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and says, listen, use your gifts, be filled with the Spirit, walk with God, all of that. But then he says, hey, let me show you a better way. How many of you have ever heard something like this recited at a wedding or maybe on a card or maybe you had this at your wedding Love is patient, love is kind, <laughs> love is not jealous, love does not brag, love does not, is not arrogant, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Anybody ever heard that before? You can raise your hands, it's okay. Anybody ever heard that before? You say, I know that's in the Bible. I'm not really sure where it is. I heard it at a wedding. It must be at some wedding ceremony in the Bible. Nope. It must be in the midst of some family that's experienced such great love. And Paul holds out this just beautiful picture of love. Nope. The greatest chapter in human literature, the greatest chapter in the Bible on love, is smack dab in the middle of a messy fouled up church with messed up people because here's how love works. Man, this was so convicting to me this week. We learn to love. We grow in love when God puts us in less than ideal situations and in the midst of less than ideal people. You hear that? In fact, it's been my experience when God wants to grow me in areas of love, which I'm like, you. I need to grow immensely in this area. God will not put me skipping through the meadows on a sunny day where everything's great. He will put me in the midst of a messed up people situation when, watch this, my natural response in the flesh would be anything but loving. 
so that the love that I learn to demonstrate toward others is not a love I produce, but a love produced by the Spirit of Jesus in me. How can I learn to love in the midst of broken, messed up people? And we'll say in the context even of a church family. Here's how. Christ in me. Christ in me. So Paul says, okay, Corinthians. I've taught you about spiritual gifts. The body, it's many parts. Every part is important, but then Paul stops at 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, but you have to understand something. Parts of the body work together. The parts are gifted, but without love. It is an empty shell of a body. That's true for us, by the way. 1 Corinthians 13 has in, immense implications for families and individuals. But the context of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is in the context of messed up, fouled up, less than ideal believers in a local body. That's why Jesus said, here's how the world will know that you are a true disciple of mine, the way you love each other. And the world is to look in and see a love for one another that is not natural, not something I generate. It is absolutely supernatural. And they go, I don't know what you've got. I want it. Here's what I've got. Christ in me. Christ in me. So Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 13. I know we're short on time. I just want to walk through this very quickly, make a couple of applications. I wanted you to see the context in which this is written. Paul says, listen, to the believers there in Corinth, he says, you're desiring the showy gifts. You're you're using your gifts in one-upsmanship. You're using your gifts to make yourself known and make yourself visible. Paul ends chapter 12 by saying, stop, I want to show you a more excellent way. 13.1 Paul says if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal translation you may have the greatest oratory skills and speak or sing like an angel from heaven hyperbole but Paul says if it is not motivated by love And you are not doing that out of love for your brothers and sisters. Paul says, you are a noise maker. That's it. You're just making noise. And for a guy who gets up here almost every weekend and rants, that's convicting. If I stand up here every week and my goal is that you think, man, what a great preacher Mike is, or oh, what study he's done, or oh, what a great pastor he is. God, by the Spirit of Jesus within me, help me to love. It's my prayer, your prayer. Verse 2, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries, and all knowledge, and remember in the Greco-Roman world, knowledge was just everything. Oh, I've got to gain more knowledge, more understanding. Paul says, okay, let's say you gain it all, hyperbole, and you don't have love. If you have faith so as to remove mountains, but you do not have love, you're nothing. 
Zero. That's convicting. Verse 3, if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor. And there's an interesting nuance here when you study this verse. It's not, I give a big fat check and then somebody goes and does ministry. Literally what this means here is, I give all that I have and then I literally take to every mouth of every poor person and feed them myself. Is what that means. Do you imagine? Wow. But as a believer, if your motive, if the heart is not one of love, Paul says, it profits me nothing. Now let me release the tension valve for just a minute and understand. There is only one who has ever or is ever capable of loving perfectly like this. Only one. Faith in Christ enables us to pursue this kind of love. You'll never live it out perfectly. Get that. But we are to strive for it, that Christ would be manifest in our lives, this type of supernatural love. See? So Paul, first three verses, his point is the priority of love over everything else. Over all of your gifts, over all your ministries, over everything you do. Is it motivated by love? And then he gets painfully practical in verse 4 through 7. We'll do these very quickly. There's several of them here. And here's what Paul does. Paul does not say, here's what love feels. Obviously, love involves affections and emotions. I'm not discounting that. Paul says, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying what love feels. It's not some esoteric concept out there. Paul gets extremely practical and says this. Here is what love does. Here's what it does. This is the practice of love, particularly in a relationship with people, particularly in the context of imperfect, messed up people. Here we go. Verse 4. Paul says, number one, love is patient. Oh, do you have to start there? Love is patient. The word picture is like a shock absorber. You have shock absorbers in your car and they constantly take a pounding and they snap right back. They take a pounding and they snap right back. That's the point of patience here is that within a church, particularly here, of imperfect broken people, you're going to take hits going to take hit you're going to get let down things are not going to go your way people are going to say things they shouldn't have said people are going to say things they didn't necessarily mean they're going to say things they meant and Paul says love is patient meaning absorbing much before lashing out long-suffering able to accept others and their faults and weaknesses able to absorb Hurts and offenses. Can you imagine how that would change churches? Well, listen, yeah, they hurt me, but I'm going to do what I can to make it right, and we're going to go work through this together. I've taken it, but I'm bouncing back, and we're going to work through this hurt together. Versus, yeah, they hurt me, and I'm out of here. Paul says, no, no. Love is patient. Then he says, love is kind. 
Kind is positive action toward another person. Kind is stepping into, kindness is stepping into the gaps that are there. Filling those gaps. Being a particular benefit to others. It is positive action. And here's what's crazy. Particularly in the context, it is positive action toward the people who hurt you. That is radical. Jesus, on the cross, bruised and beaten, they spear him, they mock him, and he says, Father, the greatest, forgive them. Okay. Kindness. Kindness. Kindness in a church setting is something like this. I'm going to give my sweat, my goods, my time for your benefit. I'm not going to wait for something to come from the top down, so to speak. Not the corporate model. I'm going to live in community. And I'm going to choose love by demonstrating kindness and being a benefit to others. Man, that is a healthy body. And let me say, that happens so much here. Let's excel still more. I've been here six years as pastor I've been here six years as member and I cannot tell you how you as a body in so many ways have stepped into the gaps in my life and the gaps of my family's life especially over the past year and said we're going to be a benefit to his we're going to serve his family can't tell you how much that's meant to us I want others to experience that I want us to excel still more patience kindness then he says love is not jealous quickly jealousy is comparison it's envy Jealousy is the idea that, oh, I want your success, and I'm going to work for your success. And even if I don't get to be successful in a sense, or I'm not in the spotlight, I'm not jealous over what God has entrusted to you. I want you to succeed. The church will thrive when God is at work and no one cares who receives the credit care who gets the credit so God's at work this is a good one he goes on he says love does not brag and it's not arrogant onomatopoeia is where the word sounds like the function that it carries out in the original language this is onomatopoeia and it literally means a blowhard or a windbag (laughs) love is not a blowhard and love is not a windbag meaning what comes out of my mouth is not all about me He says, love does not take on the characteristic of wanting all the attention. We can be a blowhard and we can be a windbag by reminding everyone how great we are or by reminding everyone constantly how miserable we are. Both bring the attention to me. And that's the point. Paul says, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Incredible word picture here. The idea of acting unbecomingly is the same word taken from Romans 1 in dealing with immorality. Translation, that means love never uses people for my own benefit. See, selfishness thinks, how can this person help me get here? (laughs) How can I so orchestrate things to get benefit out of this for me? Love says, no, I lay down my life for your benefit. Not how does it affect me, how does it help you? 
That is supernatural love, by the way. See, if you have this idea of how does it affect me, then you're not seeking your own. You're not provoked. In other words, what happens when things don't go your way? Are you provoked? When things didn't go as you had planned them, or the strategy didn't work out like you, or the relationship, whatever it is, when it doesn't go your way, how do you handle that when you don't get the lead role, or the solo on stage, or the teaching role, or no one even gives you credit? What happens? Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm talking to me too. Supernatural love. A couple more and we're finished. He says, love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. That, that right there will change relationships. That right there would revolutionize marriage. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't carry the grudge. Love does not remind. Oh, well, you remember what you did. Well, therefore, I have the right to, however you want to say. Love does not keep score. You're newlyweds. I used you all as an example a few minutes ago, David and Brianne. That verse alone changes everything in marriage. A bitter spouse, because of past hurts, is miserable to live with. And a bitter person, because you continue to recount how you've been hurt, is a miserable place to live. Love doesn't keep score. Where does that come from? The very character of God. He's taken our sins and separated them as far as the east is from the west. He never brings them up again. God does not have a bad memory. God is not forgetful. God chooses to never bring your sin up again. That's love. That's love. Lastly, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love never celebrates or affirms sin. Love celebrates and pursues what is true. Love does not flatter. Love is honest. This is where it gets painfully practical. Let me give you a quick illustration and we'll close. I know our time's up. You and I are at lunch. We're at Chick-fil-A. I get a big old swath of ketchup across my beard. Are you going to tell me there's ketchup on my face? Are you going to let me walk out in my self-deception and embarrass myself and go through the rest of my day with ketchup dripping from my chin? Are you going to tell me or not? No, hang on. Y'all see where I'm going with this? Flattery is not rejoicing with the truth and looking at me and going, man, you look great. Go have a great day. And it's oozing from my chin. And saying, well, I didn't want to hurt him. No, you didn't. You didn't want to hurt yourself. Because he's afraid I'd get mad at you. What's this? Gossip is when I will go to everybody else on social media or in my prayer groups and say, I just want to pray for Mike. He has a ketchup problem on his face. Hey, did, did you go tell Mike about the ketchup on his face? No, I could never do that. Why not? Love rejoices in the truth. Listen to me. Love is honest. Pride is when I refuse to tell the truth because I'm afraid you will not like me or appreciate me when the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen, true community, true fellowship, and true love in a church happens when we graciously, kindly are honest with one another. Hey, bro, you got ketchup dripping off your face. 
but I love you. I'm going to help you. I'll get you a napkin. I'll walk with you. But man, you can't go through life with ketchup on your face and live in a world of self-deception. Listen, God has placed us in the body of Christ to keep us from living in a world of self-deception. But you've got to love. Love bears all things. That means provides covering. Love believes all things. I choose trust instead of suspicion. Love hopes all things. I expect the best. And if nothing changes and you continue, I continue to suffer. I continue to receive foul treatment, whatever the case is. Love endures all things. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here representing the consistent, steadfast love of the Lord Jesus Christ, which never fails. Love never I'm going to ask the team to come on up and begin to play. We're going to stand and sing in just a minute. And I know this is a lot this morning, but let me make it incredibly practical to you this morning like this. If you are a believer, God has gifted you to serve one another. Press into community. Love one another. Use the gifts God has given you to, as we together build up our body. Listen, next time you have an opportunity to serve, next time you have the opportunity to speak truth, next time you have the opportunity to show kindness, whatever it is, here's the question for you and me. What does love require of me? Just get that in your head. Next time I'm offended... Next time I'm let down. Next time the pastor forgets to send me an email. Whatever the case is, here's the, here's the question. What does love require of me? Next time you want to rehearse all that you've gone through over the last 10 years, how everybody's let, how you're the victim. What does love require of me? Next time God brings somebody in your path who really irritates just the fire out of you. And you realize, wait a minute, God. You've brought them in my path for a purpose. Here's the question. What does love require of me? And listen, we answer that by the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus in us. Our church is revolutionary it's different you are a loving body Lord let's excel still more thank you for this morning thank you for this time thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians thank you for your spirit that dwells within us thank you that we are not alone thank you that you will teach us show us how to love in Jesus name